Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. All right. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew and I'm the pastor here. We're so glad you could join us today for wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm New. They fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you. We're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. We are in week three of strategy for the struggle. And, you know, we all have a strategy for winning, right? Like none of us want to walk through life thinking, well, you know, I'm just going to be kind of a loser. <laughs> none of us do that. Uh, we don't have a strategy to lose, right? We have strategies for winning, for achieving our goals and obtaining our dreams. But most of us just don't have a strategy for the struggle so that when things don't go our way, um, hey, how do, how do you react? Because you know how you react is really the strategy or the lack thereof that you're employing during that particular struggle. So we've been looking at the story of, of Joseph's life because his life epitomizes what it means to have a strategy for the struggle. And you can read a story in its entirety in the very first book of the Bible, a book called Genesis. It's towards the end, okay? And we started in Genesis chapter 37, where Joseph, you know, as a 16-year-old kid, he has dreams about his family and how they're, you know, they're bowing down to him in these positions of authority. And that gets him thrown into a pit, an empty cistern. And we learned how you know, important it is to have a strategy for the struggle of hurt. When we hurt, when we're feeling pain, we need to trust and submit ourselves to God so we can avoid allowing bitterness to set in and, and really allow God to heal us. And then we saw Joseph get sold as a slave to an Egyptian official named Potiphar. That was what happened the second week, right? And he's so good at running Potiphar's household that Potiphar doesn't even worry about a thing except what to eat. But the problem was, as Potiphar's wife, man, she had all the googly eyes for Joseph. And so she made moves on him. We learned in that strategy uh, that we need to have a strategy for the struggle of temptation. And when we have that strategy in place, we run away from temptation, but we also run towards something. We're running towards God. Now, it only gets worse for Joseph from there. So Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of rape. Now Joseph, you know, he did the right thing. He ran away. How many of you guys know, man, that when you do the right thing, you don't always get the right reward. And so Joseph does the right thing, but he's, he doesn't get the right reward for it. He's actually thrown into prison. Now, I think Potiphar, I think he must have known or at least suspected that perhaps Joseph might have been innocent. And the reason why I kind of think that is, you know, Joseph really should have died. He's a slave. He's, he's a nobody. He's property to Potiphar. So why would you allow Joseph to live unless you think that, well, maybe uh, he, he might be innocent, right? Or he's built up so much goodwill that you just spare his life uh, as a result. Either way, it's just interesting that Potiphar throws him into prison instead of just actually executing him. But while he's in prison, Joseph continues to display a powerful gift of administration. He is so good and he gains so much favor with the warden that he's actually placed in charge of all the prisoners. It, it might be the only instance, right, where a warden trusts the inmate to oversee see everything inside of the prison. So there's two prisoners that Joseph's going to come across during his time in jail, and, and there are two officials 
of pharaohs. There's, there's the baker and the cupbearer, and they both have dreams, which really shake them to their core. And, and Joseph interprets the dreams for them. Now, for the baker, he's got some bad news, okay? In three days, he's going to get executed. But for the cupbearer, well, in three days, he's going to be restored to his former position. Now, Joseph only has one request of that cupbearer. Hey, when you get out, remember me. That's, that's it. I want to pick up in Genesis chapter 40, verse number 20. So Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all of his officials and staff. And he summoned his chief cupbearer and the chief baker to join him and the other officials. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Look at verse number one in the next chapter. Two full years later, Remember earlier, Joseph had said, hey, like you're, you're getting me, you know, you're getting out here in three days, cupbearer, remember me, okay? Two full years later, I mean, any day Joseph's thinking he's getting out of jail, he's going to shave, he's going to get a bath, then it's like day five and 40, then day 80, and, and now we're two years later, Pharaoh dreamed he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. So now we're kind of full circle where we were at, and we started the series in chapter 41, verse 37. So Pharaoh's going to have some dreams which deeply disturb him, and Joseph interprets those dreams for him. So what happens now is he, he, the, the, those dreams, nobody can interpret the dreams and, uh, that Pharaoh's having. The cupbearer remembers, oh my gosh, there's, there's a guy I forgot all about. Like he's in jail, and his name's Joseph. And hey, Pharaoh, he told me my dream, and he told the baker his dream, and they happened exactly like he said. And so Pharaoh looks at the cupbearer, he's like, dude, go get that guy out of prison. Like, I need him right here. So Joseph comes out of prison, and, and think about this. Like, he's been in prison for some years, right? You can imagine for a moment just like how, how smelly, how dirty, <laughs> hairy, right? Joseph probably is. He's probably got rags on for clothes. So they, you know, they get Joseph out of jail. You know he's going to get shaved and cleaned up. He's going to have new clothes put on because he's going to be in front of Pharaoh. So skip down to verse 37. Pharaoh has just had this dream interpreted by Joseph. And this is where we started the series out a couple of weeks ago. Verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anybody else like this man who's so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, well, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you are. And you'll be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. And only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. Two years have gone by. But remember, it's, it's been longer than that, right? Because Joseph was about 16 years old when he first has these dreams. It's 16 years from the time he has the dreams of his family bowing down to him to when he's standing in front of Pharaoh who says, hey, man, you're my number two guy, all right? 16 years had gone by. And you might say, okay, well, what's, what's the struggle here? Well, I, I wonder today, man, if you have a strategy for the struggle of waiting, 
I think it's entirely accurate to say that when we, you know, when we wait, it can almost feel like we're in our own prison, right? Like, think about it. You, you can't do anything when you're waiting. You're, you're, you're held in a state of limbo. And for some of you, like, that's okay. You're patient people. Waiting's not a big deal. Others of you, uh, you know, you have a hard time with that because you're just, you're wired to be on the go. Like, you move at the speed of light. You got high energy. Waiting is, is killer for you, man. You don't got time to wait. As we're waiting, it can feel, you know, it can feel discouraging. It can feel frustrating. And the longer you wait, you really have to fight this urge at times, I think, to just, just kind of quit, throw in the towel. Hey, it's never, never going to happen. I'm never going to get there. You know, it's never going to come out. We, we, we struggle with waiting. And, and, and I, I just want to submit to you here today that the struggle with waiting is really a struggle of God's timing. This is especially true if you're a Christian because there'll be all kinds of waiting periods and seasons where God's timing hasn't come yet and, and, and you're, you're struggling with that. Everybody struggles with God's timing at some point. So don't try to pretend like you don't because you do. Some of you struggle less because you're further in your walk and your faith and that's good. But all of us will struggle with God's timing in our lives at some point or another. And so we struggle with those seasons of, you know, of pain or discouragement or frustration. Often they accompany the seasons of waiting that we're going through. And, and we can almost feel like we're stuck and you feel like you're not going anywhere. Like you're, just, you're never going to get out. Now, I, I can't say that I'm a super patient person. <laughs> I can't say I've gotten better as I've gotten older. I've become better at waiting. If I'm truthful, I think the reason I've gotten better, man, is I, I, I got married and I had kids. <laughs> that really good, that, that'll do it for you, right? Like, I love my wife and I, I wait on her a lot. And, and I like being five or 10 minutes early. That's kind, of, that's kind of my jam. My dad's that way, my grandpa's that way. I got that gene. I gotta be somewhere early to be on time and I'm good. I married a woman who says, you know, five minutes late's fashionably on time. <laughs> Which to me, no, there's no way. Right? No way. That's not true. Like, we'll miss the trailers and the movies, man. We can't be five minutes late. Uh, we got to be on time. Now, she looks amazing and beautiful. And without a doubt, the wait was, is always worth it. But I've got to get to a point now where, you know, I, if we're going to be somewhere at four o'clock, I said, baby, we got to be there at 3 30 because I know she'll get ready early and we'll get out of there and leave on time and be where we need to be as we're supposed to be there five to 10 minutes early, right? Uh, I just don't like being late. We're, we're, we're not wired, you know, for that kind of thing. We're not wired to like, you know, pain, discomfort, frustration, all the things that often accompany us when we're struggling in the waiting. We, we don't get excited about that. If you do, you need counseling, right? Like you, you need some help because nobody gets excited about things like pain. Uh, we do look forward to, we don't look forward to the timing being off. It's supposed to, you know, happen right here, happen right now, happen next week, but it hasn't happened yet. And, and, and those things kind of really frustrate us, right? And so it's natural in this season of waiting to, to have this sort of get me out of here kind of attitude. Well, we'll do whatever it takes to get out. And the problem with that is it can damage our spiritual confidence in God. So when that happens, the desire to get out can overtake the desire to do things in God's timing, which often means wait. And so what we do is we try to fix things ourselves take matters into our own hands, to make moves without consulting God. Hey, I, I could pray about it. I could fast about it. But he may not know the answer right away. He may not get back to me soon enough. I, I've got to go right now. I think there are moments where you, you just, you know, you don't need to pray about something. You just need to do it, like common sense type things. But for the most part, you need to consult with God. 
every major move I've ever made in my life. We've always prayed about it and waited on God to give us an answer before doing it. So we'll try to do things ourselves. We'll try to skip that season of waiting. We'll look for uh, sometimes a coping mechanism to help bring about a feeling of escape, like things are going to get better. You know, that, that's another message in and of itself that we could do. There's a whole lot of different coping mechanisms out there. We use alcohol, drugs, food, pornography. Maybe it's gaming. Uh, maybe it's too much golf, shopping too much. I can go on. We look for coping mechanisms, though, to make us feel better and give us a sense of escape instead of looking to God for our peace in the time of waiting. And if we're not careful, what we'll do when it's all over is we'll beat our chest and we'll say, hey, God, look at this. I took care of this for you. Right? It's all good. I got it. I took care of it. And if we're not careful, we'll look at God and we'll say, hey, if you really, really cared, you know, you could have got me out of this mess a whole lot sooner than what you did. So I stepped in and I took care of it and I got me out. Now, of course, the problem with that is when we do that kind of thing, we actually just prolonged our season of waiting even more because we actually made a mess that's much bigger than what we had previously, and we can't get out of it on our, on our own. You know, we'll say things like, hey, if God loved me, He'd have got me out of that season of pain. We'll reason that sometimes, you know, often as Christians, we'll make the mistake of thinking if I follow God with all my heart, all my soul, then everything, you know, in, in me, I, I shouldn't have to struggle. Things will actually get better and easier and smoother. You know, things should be okay. I should get all the breaks. It should all just work out for me here in the end. But when you study the life of Joseph, uh, he doesn't get a whole lot of breaks, right? Like time and time again, it got worse before it got better. And often that's the way it works with God. Things tend to get worse before they actually get better. You know, Joseph's left in prison for two years. The timing was off. Hey, get me out in three days, buddy. Two years go by. Timing's not right. You know, the pain, I'm sure, was real for him. The struggle, I'm sure, was real. How do you overcome that struggle? Well, there's a strategy, I think, that, that we need to use that, that James talks about in the New Testament. The letter that James writes wasn't written during Joseph's time, but I think Joseph certainly you know, employed some of these things that we're going to walk through here. Um, James chapter 1, verse number 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to what? To grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So our strategy for the struggle of waiting hinges on two really important keys from James. And here's the, here, here's the first key, okay? You've got to consider the promise. The promise is God's promise here. We, we do all we can to avoid pain, discomfort, bad timing. We want nothing to do with any of that stuff. And yet James says, when you struggle, embrace it, because it, it can lead to joy. <laughs> Which, uh, why? Like, that doesn't make sense, right? That sounds absurd. Nobody counts struggling as an opportunity. No one counts frustration and pain and waiting as opportunities to get excited, to have joy. Like, nobody does that. James is saying, man, you need this. Like you need these moments in your life. It's going to be, it's going to be for your benefit. I, I, I'm not a mathematician. I was pretty good at math until I got to middle school. I was following numbers. And when I got to middle school, I discovered that uh, I was great at social sciences. I loved history. I loved English lit and grammar and that kind of thing. But math was really different for me because what I discovered uh, in, that, in those middle school years was math and English got married, had a baby named algebra, <laughs> right? And so, you know, you, you have these equations if a plus b equals c where a is four and c is six what's b uh, i hated those things 
I always thought, well, why, why is that important? I got the answer. The answer is C. You know, six is what's, why, why does it matter? And I know some of you guys love math and you think that way, and that's cool. I just don't think that way. I'm a very linear thinker, very logical thinker. And so as you can imagine, this math kind of went downhill from there for me. And I, I did. I struggled with algebra and that kind of stuff. Growing up, math wasn't my buddy. And I got to thinking about this message, though, and I started thinking, you know, what if we looked at God's timing and struggle of waiting almost like an equation where you have, you know, Jesus is A, C is the dream, right? And, and you know, whatever the dream that God has for your life, it's going to come from Him. And, and we love that. And we focus on the dream a lot. The problem is, though, we can't just stick with that answer, hey, I've got Jesus and I'm all good. There's still B, right? There's still something in the way, something that's important and necessary for you to fulfill and about the dream that God has given to you, the plan that God has for your life. And so what happens, you know, when you have an algebra equation as a kid, you know, you know what A is, you know what C is, you got to figure out what B is. So your whole focus will turn to B. What is it? How do I figure out what this is? And often we'll look at B, and for us as followers of Christ, that's, that's our struggle. And we'll look at the struggle, and our focus is always on the struggle. And for Joseph, you know, it was waiting in the prison for two more years. It was waiting for 16 years for this dream that God had given him that had all kinds of up and downs to, to be fulfilled. All of our focus goes onto the struggle and how we overcome it ourselves instead of you know how does God use that struggle to get us to where we need to be when we lose our focus we lose our sight of God's goodness we lose sight of God's mercy we lose sight of God's love we lose sight of the mission and we put ourselves in a tough situation we're not focused on the promise right so we've forgotten the dream We've forgotten there's something more that God has for us. There's something bigger that he's planned. We've, we've focused on the struggle and we can't see the dream. But what if you could consider that promise, right? That Jesus is actively working for you. And what if you took your focus off of the struggle and onto the promise that God has for your life and shifted your perspective just a little bit? And what if you realized too that I have a God-given dream inside of me, that I need Christ to make work so it doesn't matter what my struggle is because I believe somehow, some way, that God will use that struggle to carry me through to the dream that He's placed inside of me, that plan and purpose that God has for my life. So if you're Joseph, you know that God's favor is on your life, right? Like you, you know you belong to Him. You know the dreams you've had at 16, they're going to get fulfilled at some point. He gave them to you for a reason. You know, even though it hasn't happened yet, there's a struggle that you're going to go through, a period of waiting that you're encountering, but that's okay because God is gonna bring you through and see that promise fulfilled. So you need to slow down, consider the promise, but here's something else to consider too. Consider the process. Look at verse three in James chapter one. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, look at this, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What if the struggle is an important part of the equation that brings about the dream? What if your struggle helps produce the dream that God has designed for you? What if your season of waiting is developmental for you to fulfill that purpose, right? Like what if the troubles that you're encountering and you're going through produce an endurance needed to finish what God has already started with inside of you? So to fulfill the dream and live the dream out, you need both Jesus and the struggle that you have in your life right now. And we don't always think of it like that. 
we, we, we think that we don't need the struggle. You know, we just need Jesus and we're good. Like we, the struggle is, it, it, but it plays a very important role here, a very important part of the equation. The goal should not be for us to have everything flow according to our plans. The goal should be for everything to flow according to God's plan to complete us and shape us and mold us into who we are and should be. So your season of delay and season of struggle becomes a season of growth for you if you allow God to use it. And that struggle ends up becoming a platform for which you can be a light for Christ to the people all around you. So say you battle with alcoholism, you've done it your whole life, and then God sets you free. And now you have a platform that you can share Christ with other folks who are struggling with alcoholism. You know why? Because you've been there, you've done that, you've gone through it, you know what others struggling with alcohol are thinking, you know why they're doing it, you know what they're doing, you know how they're operating, and you can reach them in a way that somebody who has a struggle with alcohol can't because through Christ you've overcome that struggle and the dream has been fulfilled and you can impact others for the kingdom of God. That that struggle you once had now becomes your platform that God uses to reach others who are struggling around you. See, Joseph has a dream and, and showing, showing him great things that are ahead. He's going to receive that dream, right? But I, I don't think for a second, despite all that had happened to him, that he forgot about the dream. I think he remembered it. But for the years, man, he was interpreting dreams instead of receiving them. He was watching other people for good or for ill, kind of walk into their dreams, fulfill their dreams, right? But, but while he's doing all of that, God is developing him. God is using Joseph's gifts in a season of waiting so he could use them to complete the dream. And as we're going to see in our next teaching, our last teaching, we're going to see all that kind of come together and, and what happened to Joseph. But again, I just want to say the season of waiting for you, man, that you're encountering, that, that struggle you have is a season where God is developing you. He's shaping you. He's priming you and molding you. He's getting you ready to complete the promise that he's placed inside of you long ago. He took the prison... Right? God took the prison and he used that time to develop Joseph and that faithfulness that Joseph had, that waiting and that endurance he built up during the moments of pain, it led to his promotion. Joseph wasn't ready to step into that role as Pharaoh's number two guy without the Potiphar experience, without the prison experience. He may have felt like he was ready. You know, hey, I'm Potiphar's servant. I'm crushing it. I'm doing a great job. Maybe this will get me ready for bigger things down the road, right? But he couldn't have stepped into that role as Potiphar's servant, he wasn't interpreting dreams in Potiphar's house. He had to go to prison to, to, to do that, right? There are certain steps on your journey that God is taking you that you might think, hey, I'm ready. I can step out. I can do this. Let's go. And God is saying, wait a minute. Nope. There's a couple more things I need to do through you before you're ready, right? And if you step out too early, what you might think is a big promotion, a big platform, it, which pales to in comparison to what God actually has prepared for you. Uh, if you step up too early, you might actually miss it because you took things into your own hands. You got to stay on the journey. You got to go through the struggle and be developed because that way you'll be ready for what God has in store for you down the road. Your delays, man, your detours, your pain, it's not the absence of God's presence in your life. It's actually pointing to the work that he's doing in your life, how he's shaping you and molding you, man. He's working to complete you. So what if we could consider the process that testing faith produces endurance? 
that when your endurance grows and develops, it, it completes you, just like James 1.4 says, and leaves you needing nothing. What if we could you know, pause in the middle of our struggle and just say to God, hey, I, I don't like this period of waiting, the frustration, all the things that can sometimes kind of come with that. Lord, how are you going to use this struggle that I'm encountering for your glory? How will you use this struggle to develop me and to prepare you know, me for what you want to do in my life tomorrow? How are you going to use it in the season of waiting in my life to impact people with a platform that I never thought was imaginable? How are you going to, how are you going to do it, God? What if we just stopped and asked those questions and just kind of changed our perspective on this season of waiting? If you're finding yourself struggling in the waiting here today, focusing on the struggle, the obstacles, the challenges, all the things that can keep you from reaching what you think is that potential and that dream, that, that, that plan that God has for your life. Man, listen, you need to shift your perspective. Take your focus off of the struggle. Shift that focus over to Jesus. You need Jesus in your life. You need the struggle to be handed over to him. Let him take it. Let him use it, right? He can take that struggle and shape you and mold you and get you to where he wants you to go to fulfill the dream and the promise he has for your life. Whenever you see Christ, man, I'm telling you, you should see the dream. And when you see that, you know, whatever struggle and obstacle will come your way, you'll know that, hey, God can use that to get me to where I need to be for his glory. Paul writes to the Christians in Romans, and he, and he pens something that we misuse all the time. We, we think it's a great verse because, you know, you want to make everyone feel good, so we apply it to all walks of life. But really, the context of this verse is actually exclusive. He's writing just to Christians here. And here's what he says in Romans 8, 28. He says, we know that God causes everything, not some things, not a few things, but everything to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That is a promise. Every obstacle, every struggle, every issue you'll face is part of the equation which gets you to the promise that God has for you. He'll take it, he'll use it for his good, for his glory, and to complete you. Let me pray for you here today. God, I love you. Thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. I pray, Lord, that if there are those who are in a season of struggle where they're waiting and they don't understand, you know, all the things that kind of, kind of come with that frustration, discouragement, pain, uh, you know, detours, things aren't happening in the right timelines, that can all, you know, can get us down. If they're struggling with that, Lord, remind them you have a plan. Remind them, God, you have a purpose. Remind them, Lord, that in the season of waiting, you are shaping them. You're building them. You're chiseling some stuff away. You're prepping them, getting them ready for what it is you have for their life, for, for that platform, God. Take that struggle they might have. Use it as a platform to reach people, Lord, for your kingdom and for your glory uh, for in, in their lives. And God, just pray uh, that we keep our heads up, keep that faithfulness going, or just like Joseph did. Keep that faithfulness going, Lord. Keep our heads up high, knowing that you're at work, knowing, God, you haven't forgotten about us. You're still at work. And, and, and God, there is something you're completing in us. You're building something in us. You're going to bring us to completion, not for our glory, not for our benefit, but, God, for yours, for the kingdom of God to grow, to expand, to win hearts and minds and lives uh, to you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. Thank you, God, for shaping us in a season of waiting and for, and for getting us ready for that, that God. God-given dream, that, that plan and purpose you have for our lives, that you have for each and every individual. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we ask all this in your name. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.